Hello and welcome to Reliving. This is Lavinia Spirito with Marilyn Emacek, and we are going to um, tell you a little bit about a pilgrimage that we have coming up with Catholic Way Bible Study called, well, called Pilgrimage to France. I mean, it's pretty basic. It's going to take the place of the pilgrimage we had anticipated to be taking last year to Israel, which unfortunately it got um, it got really, you know, canceled as you might imagine and messed up and. So who knows when we'll be able to go back to Israel. But I thought it would be nice to go to Lourdes, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to France. We're going to various uh, uh, places on the itinerary, and we hope to be able to unpack this itinerary with you um, in uh, the next show or so. The dates of the pilgrimage are October the 17th through the 28th of 2024. October the 17th through the 28th throughout through yeah October of 2024. So in the deadline because we have some hotels that are kind of um wanting their money up front, we unfortunately the deadline is March 1st. So if you're listening to this at the beginning of February, you don't have a whole lot of time to decide, but it, we really hope that you do. You can get the information the brochure is posted at cwbs dot com catholic way bible study so our initials c w b s dot com what dot org dot org c w b s dot org not dot com dot org c w b s dot org and uh there'll be the brochure there'll be the registration form there'll be all the information we're going to hope to unpack some of the highlights of the trip with you in this show and in the next show Meanwhile, Mary Lou, you said you had some materials on what makes a pilgrimage a pilgrimage and what's the difference from a... I thought it would be fun to kind of delve into what a pilgrimage is, a really clear understanding of it and the history of it. Of course, so what the church tells us, it's, it's a journey to a sacred place undertaken as an act of religious devotion. Uh, and if you look it up like on on the internet or something, it's a devotional practice consisting of a prolonged journey, often undertaken on foot or on horseback, toward a specific destination of significance. Well, guess what? We have planes and trains and automobiles, and so we can get to these places relatively easy, so to speak. But the, the pilgrimage in and of itself, it really is a, a journey. And part of the um, history of pilgrimages goes back to the earliest days of the church in the fourth century, um, where people wanted to go to the places where Jesus and his apostles were. And so the Holy Land was a big place to go. And at that time, it was still under the Roman Empire, so it was fairly easily to travel there. And as you know, Lavinia, having been to the Holy Land several times, um, all these places are marked. And it's a, it's a wonderful journey to go and visit these places that go back to the earliest times of the church. But from my point of view, the whole purpose of a pilgrimage is really to deepen your connection to God. It's a seeking God. It's seeking that personal relationship. How are you going to do that? This is from the places where miracles took place, where Jesus was, whatever the case may be. And it's also having been on many pilgrimages, it's meeting a community of Christians who are believers. And not all people that, that go on our 
pilgrimages through the Catholic Way Bible Study are Catholic. We have people from different faiths that come on our uh, trips. Or believers. Right. Sometimes. Right. right. And, and you know what? We, where, you know, miracles happen. We go to places where you can receive some special blessings. For instance, in Rome, if you go to the, the major basilicas, you can receive a partial indulgence. Um, we have people that will go places, and I, I know I have not been to Lourdes, but you have many times, Slovenia. People will go there for healing, or they'll go there and they will, they will come away with an acceptance of whatever their situation or ailment may be. I mean, I, have, I can tell you from personal experience that my faith grows by being with these other people because we never know how someone's going to be touched, what experiences we're going to have. But it's not just a dry trip, visiting places and nothing exciting is going on. You know, when you, when you bring God into the picture, wonderful, miraculous things happen. So that's my two cents on pilgrimages. Well, and also there is a distinction between a pilgrimage and a tour. Yes. We're not tourists, we're pilgrims. So sometimes we'll be uncomfortable. Sometimes we'll get up a little too early. Sometimes we won't be able to find the bathrooms. <laughs> sometimes we'll be able to have some enough water. Sometimes, you know, um, it's, it's a different deal. It's not geared towards comfort. Although I always try to make sure that we stay at nice hotels, that we have nice meals, that we have wine with meals, that we have time to, to relax and to shop and, you know, so that we have enough downtime. But, but the idea, especially coming off the, pilgrimage we did last year in Assisi and in Rome. I mean, that was like, whoa, that gave like, you know, you kind of figured out. I just kept thinking about poor St. Francis dressed in a garbage bag in that really, really cold, um, really cold yes. uh, climate in Assisi in January, you know? Uh -huh. Now we're going to be in France in October. Shouldn't be that bad. Although we are going, excuse me, up to Normandy. And, the, and it's Northern Europe, and it's, it's, it might be a little bit chillier, but it's not going to be like it was um, in our last pilgrimage to Italy, to Italy, Central Italy, Assisi, and Rome, which was frigid, to say the least. So um, let's just delve in. I think that we're going to do something different. We're going to depart. We're going to leave from the United States, and we are going to meet in Toulouse. Now, Toulouse is a, is a coastal city. It's on the Mediterranean. It's an ancient port city. But the reason we're meeting there well, it's a beautiful city. It's a beautiful medieval town. But because one of my favorite saints, St. Thomas Aquinas, Dominican saint, died there in the 1200s. He died in Toulouse on his way to a council, a church council, and was buried in the church of the Jacobins, which I thought that was fascinating. Uh -huh. he, died, he was on his way um, to the second council of Lyon. And he was obviously, you know, a, a very important uh, member, you know, he was sent by the Pope to go to this council. However, unfortunately, he died on his way to the Council of Lyon in France in Toulouse on January 28, 1369. And so, actually, I'm sorry, yeah, uh, uh, yes, so actually it was 1274, 1274, yeah, 1274, March 7th. And um, he was buried in the Church of the Jacobins, and then eventually his uh, relics during the French Revolution were were translated into the Basilica of saint Saint-Sernin in Toulouse, and then they were moved back to the Church of the Jacobins today. 
Now, I'm looking forward to doing it because I hope to we can have some prayers at his tomb, etc. Unfortunately, the church is an inactive one. It's a decon it's the, the technical term is deconsecrated, although it was a former Dominican monastery. It's downtown in Toulouse. And um I'm looking at a picture of it right now. It's actually quite quite haunting the way it looks like. It's like a it's a it's like a monument to the spiritual and intellectual decline, unfortunately, of today's Catholic Church and Western society, because it's a beautiful church, but nobody's there. And it's deconsecrated. But I think we will make the most of that and we will, you know, make the most of visiting the tomb of one of the greatest saints that really ever lived. And I think that a lot of the the teaching of the church and the the liturgy of the church owes a lot to that genius. I would say he was a genius. You know, he was, no, I wouldn't say, I declare, uh, the church declares that he was basically, you know, a genius, an encyclopedic volume of knowledge, the way he organized systematically the items of the faith, the summa theologiae, the, um, all the various works that he composed, which actually, I don't know if they still do it, but when there's a conclave in the Sistine Chapel, um, up until recently, and probably still, they'll put a copy of the scriptures on the altar and a copy of the Summa Theologiae of the the you know the greatest work of Thomas Aquinas on the on the altar in the Sistine Chapel as they deliberate to elect a pope in the conclave. So that's pretty cool. I'm looking for. I'm lo really looking forward to that. So we're just going to spend not much time there, but I think that would be interesting. I know that there's like a whole movement of people saying, reclaim his, you know, bring him back to Italy or, you know, what's he doing in Toulouse? But I mean, you know, he did die there. Uh, although they could do the favor, I think, of moving him to a consecrated church. What do you think? That that would be a good idea. I mean, I had no idea he was, he was buried there. It was a, quite a surprise to me. Mm -hmm. You know, when you say that we're going to have mass somewhere, we do have a priest that travels with us. Mm-hmm. So we mass every day, and it's uh, Father David Wheeler from Christ the King is the, going to be the priest traveling with us this year. So it makes it, these masses are, are shown as they're small, they're intimate, they're at mm -hmm. all different locations, and it's just such a, um, such a gift. Because I know some people, um, I remember when my daughter came on one of the pilgrimages, she says, mass every day? And I said, yes. And she was like, oh. Mm -hmm. Well, got into the swing of things. There may have been a couple times that she kind of cut loose and did her own thing, but it's not mandatory. But it's um, certainly something that we find that um, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a part of the pilgrimage that we treasure. Mm -hmm. It's a pleasure, and it's a, such a grace to be to have the Eucharist every day and have a a priest who be as available for confessions. And uh, just yeah. what a what a blessing. We also try to to pray morning prayer and evening prayer. Uh, when we're together, either in the bus or on location, wherever. And we also try to pray a rosary together as well. So, you know, it's a pilgrimage. That's why it's a pilgrimage and not a tour. On that same day, we're going to take uh, the train and go to Lourdes. And when I say take the train, as Americans, we're like, oh, the train. But the trains in Europe are a completely different deal. They're super fast and they're quite nice and clean and accommodating. And so it's only going to take us two and a half hours to go from Toulouse to Lourdes because it's those high-speed trains, you know. And so we were going to uh, spend quite a bit of time in Lourdes. Now, Lourdes, if you know the geography, 
Toulouse is on the Mediterranean coast and Lourdes is in the Pyrenees. It's on the foothills of the Pyrenees. So the Pyrenees are the mountains that divide Spain from France. So it's Western France. And um, Lourdes is such a beautiful place. It's a, it's a mountain town, mountain town, well, high hill town. And, um, and actually October is probably the latest that we can go because then after that, I think um, a lot of the stuff closes down because it is frigid. It is really cold. Especially if you're going to go to the baths, you know, you don't want to be walking around with the penguins, you know, soaking wet. <laughs> no, you come out from the baths and you're, and you're dry, but still, you know, I can see. And also they also have, I think they have a date in which they close the processions to the Blessed Sacrament because it's so cold and because a lot of people who go are, are sick. They're compromised, you know, so you don't want to keep people out uh, in the frigid weather and like that. We're at Lourdes. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of people there. This is not a, a, a place where you go and it's, you know, just you there and a few other people. This is a big deal each and every day while the weather is good and people can visit there easily. That's right. And it's actually, and why is Lourdes famous? Well, St. Bernadette. Why? What happened with St. Bernadette? Well, our Blessed Mother appeared to her. And who was St. Bernadette? She was just an ordinary little girl out in the fields when Our Lady appeared to her. And and I don't think that she knew who she was at first. Correct me That's if I'm right. That's right. And um, she was a little slow in school. Um, it didn't sound like she was exactly the belle of the ball of her village. You know, she was kind of... A uh, member of a very, very poor family. His father, their father of the family left, basically lost all his money and all his position and all that. And they had to live in an ex-prison. I think it was an ex-prison cell. You, we'll go. We'll go there and we'll visit. It's pretty depressing. You know, no windows, just the door. Very, very cold. A lot of the big family all crammed in there. And so, but she would do her part and go out in the fields and work for the family. And that's when this beautiful lady approached her and she didn't know who she was, right? And eventually right. she says, Je suis l'Immaculée Conception. Like, who are you? Je suis l'Immaculée Conception. I am the Immaculate Conception, which poor Bernadette, which didn't ha who didn't have a whole lot of schooling, didn't really know what she was talking about or what she meant. But when she goes to her priest and she says, this lady says that she's the Immaculate Conception, the priest just about falls down in... Uh, in amazement, because the dogma of Mary's Immaculate Conception had just been proclaimed the year before, in 1858. This happened in 1859. So it was something that happened in Rome before the internet. So there was no way that somebody hidden away in a little village, especially a little girl, a young girl, was going to know of, of kind of questionable schooling, was going to know, or even her parents were going to know exactly what was being meant by the Immaculate Conception. I would, subject, I would submit to you, Mary Lou, is that very few Catholics today know what the Immaculate Conception I, is. I would, they, tend, I would tend to agree with that. Right? And uh, They'll say that's because Jesus was born without sin. We're like, no, 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 right? No, 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 no. So instead, it refers to the fact that Mary, as the Ark of the New Covenant, you know, as the mother of the Lord, was conceived without original sin. And that is, basically, she was saved. We are all saved, right, through baptism. And it, the original sin is, is, is erased 
but Mary was saved before she was born, you know? So it's not a matter of, um, this is not something we will all experience. We will, we all experience it. We just experience it at a different time. And she was in a certain sense, pre-washed, you know, preconditioned before the birth of the Lord, uh, as being immaculately conceived, conceived without sin. Well, she was certainly a model of who we were before original sin. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, Bernadette, it's not as if the Blessed Mother didn't appear to her just once or twice. I believe it was like 18 times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, and poor Bernadette really went through it because, you know, I even think today, oh, I saw a lady. Oh, really? And what did she say? Well, she said this. And then she said for me to dig this spring. And, uh, you know, the movie, remember the song of Bernadette? Yes, yes. You know, I think it's a movie of the 50s or the 40s or whatever. And it it kind of gives the idea of her digging in the ground. So the, so the lady says, drink from the spring. And she's like, what spring? And the lady says, dig. And so she's like digging and digging and digging and digging. Finally, she gets a little bit of mud, right? And right. it's not like the spring kind of comes out like that, you know? And yet the next day or whenever, within a certain period of time, the water springs out. And so it's actually the water in which today we would bathe. Mm -hmm. Baths. Mm -hmm. So when I'm referring to the baths, what I'm saying is there's actually a whole section of Lourdes which is set aside over that spring, that particular spring that Mary said to, to, to bathe in and to drink um, for miraculous results uh, that um, is set aside and you wait in line and you go in and there's little cubicles and you take off your clothes, and they put this freezing cold, wet towel around you. And then you go down these steps, and you have ladies on either side. I remember because as a teenager, I volunteered, and I was one of those two ladies on either side holding on to you for dear life because the water's so cold. When you come in, you know, you make those steps, everybody kind of, you know, freezes up. And so they, they help you to sit down to, to receive a full benefit of the bath, and then to get up and turn around. And then they take the, the towel away from you and you go and get dressed. And the water's so cold is that when, by the time you get to your clothes, you're fully dry. Wow. Which is crazy. You know, I remember trying to explain that to my friends when I was a teenager. No, you don't need a towel because you're dry. By the time you make it to your clothes, which is just a few steps, and they have little hooks where everybody's waiting. And... um it's, it's an act of faith. You know, people were asking me, why should we do that? It's cold, blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, because the Blessed Mother asked us to. And, you know, it's not comfortable. It's freezing cold. But you're kind of glad you did it at the end. And plus, you know what came to me today? Um, you know, cold plunges are kind of popular oh, yeah, right now. now. Yeah. You know, the whole hormesis thing, the whole thing about having a cold plunge and being in cold water because it's good for you. And I'm like, hey, guys, this is actually a cold plunge. But it's a holy whole cold plunge. This would be a, a plunge that's good for you, not only spiritually, but also physically. Well, I have talked to people that were on the last trip, and they said that it was well worth going through that cold. Oh, yeah. and, it was, and it was such an act of humility for everyone to do that. That's exactly what it is. And, it's, um, and that's what we're called to do. We're called to be uncomfortable on these pilgrimages to do things and to take risks that we wouldn't normally do. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the beautiful things about it. And, and um, so I am probably going to take the plunge 
well, this, you know, there's no point going all, going all the way over there and not doing it, you know? Right. Right. To this day, I'm going to close this out, but to the, I'm going to close the show out. But to this day, when I wring a towel out, you know, when you wring a towel out and maybe if it's a big towel, you have somebody helping you wring it. I can't say, I can't, I immediately think back to being the volunteer at Lords, helping people into the baths. And then finally, between each person, wringing out this huge linen sheet that they put around you and wringing it out. It was really hard because it's linen, thick linen, and it's soaking wet and it's freezing. And you're like trying to, you know, wring it out so you don't kill the next person with this like soaking wet sheet. And it's like, you know, partially dry or whatever. But anyway, um, it's really something I really recommend. I'm going to invite everybody to join us at, at this pilgrimage that we will be having to France. We just uh, got as far as Lourdes, but we will tell you where we're going to go in our next show. Thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm.